Thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, please check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com. You can also search One Cause Church on Facebook and on Twitter. God bless you. Chapter 128. Very excited to be sharing a message with you tonight. Did you guys see our little uh, jars up here with the fireflies we caught? That was nice. I thought Derek and the crew, who all was involved in that, Derek? Danny Duran, Alex. Thank you guys so much for your hard work there. Why don't we give them a hand for their creative minds working together. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed that Bible reading on Sunday morning with Mark Winchell. Wasn't that cool? And uh, looking forward to what that does for our church. I think it's going to be wonderful. There's a fellow that went to visit his friend who was a farmer. And uh, on his way there, he passed by his friend's barn. And something caught his eye. So he pulled over and noticed on that barn there were all these targets painted on the side of it. And uh, as he observed closer, he noticed that the targets, all of them, there were 20 targets he counted, and they all had a bullseye in the center. And in the center of the bullseye was a bullet hole. Perfect shot, all 20 of them. He thought, my goodness, this is amazing. So he got in his car, drove on up to his friend's house. His friend, Farmer Joe, met him at the door. He said, Joe, man, I saw something I'd never seen before on the side of your barn out there. All, I counted 20 targets and with 20 bullseyes with a bullet hole in the center of every bullseye that was there. Who did that? Joe said, oh, that was me. He said, when did you learn to shoot like that? I didn't know you were a marksman. He said, well, it's easy. I shoot first and then I paint the target (laughs) around the bullet hole. Hey, listen, it's easy to look like you're on target when really you just know how to paint. And, um, you know, you, can, you may know how to make things look in such a way that they look like they are where they're supposed to be. I want to talk to you tonight about getting your life on target. The next few weeks, um, we're going to be talking about who you are in Christ and your authority as um, a believer. Thanks to Greg. A conversation I had Greg, Far- Greg Farlow. You really moved me in a direction, man, just by our little conversation. Anyway, but um, coming at life differently than the culture would have you to do it. How many of you know that the world has an opinion about you and your life, yeah. right? And, uh, and coming at it from a culture known as the kingdom of God and getting the perspective of the king and his kingdom and his agenda for your life. So I'm, in the book of Psalms, chapter 128, uh, we can summarize this kingdom mentality, this kingdom view in this chapter. It's really extraordinary, and it shows us God's view. Verse 1, these, there's just six verses here. Verse 1 said, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Isn't that really good news? The first one that he talks to here is the individual. God focuses on the one here. Blessed is he who fears, or blesses everyone who fears the Lord. And he pronounces a blessing. Now, this word blessing here, if you're taking notes, oh, by the way, you can follow us on version. If you have the version app, you can look up 
uh, One Cause Church, and uh, some of these notes are there for you to follow by, and uh, it's free of charge. The word blessing is the favor of God to you and through you. Say that. Say the blessing of God, blessing of God. is the favor of God, favor of God. To, me to me and through me. And through. See, if His blessing can only get to you and not through you, then your life becomes, well, kind of like a cul-de-sac rather than a conduit for God's blessings to flow through. Abraham was told by God, I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And then Galatians chapter 3 clues us in on what Christ did for us who were on the outside, called Gentiles, who were strangers to these covenants of Uh, of God, strangers to these promises. We were on the outside looking in, but thanks be to God that Christ intentionally went to that tree because the Bible says he became a curse for us. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Everybody say, that's me. It might come upon you in Christ Jesus that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So whatever you want God to do to you, I want to encourage you tonight to talk to Him about how it can flow through you. Because once He sees that you want it to flow through you, then it's a whole lot easier for Him to get it to you. Amen. See, the whole blessing is to and through. That's the whole impact of the blessing of God, to you and through you. Can you get that? All right? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. The favor of God is upon those who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. The first thing that he calls for here in this chapter is the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. To fear God, let me just take all the mystery out of it, is to take God seriously. And you can only do that by faith. That you completely trust in Him, cling to Him, and rely on Him that you really take his word seriously in your life. It's it's the combination of two concepts in the Old Testament, the fear of God. One being to dread and to tremble, and the other being to reverence and to hold in high esteem. To dread and to tremble, to reverence, to hold in high esteem. So when you mix these two together, it's, it's blessed or favor from God to every individual who takes God seriously. Isn't that good? As opposed to taking him casually. Most people, and I think even probably most Christians, take God casually. They use Him to say grace and for certain invocations and benedictions, and they, you know, make sure that they have a semi-regular church attendance and maybe once in a while attend a conference, but that's about as far as it goes. I mean, you know, all of us have electricity in our homes, and all of us enjoy the benefits of that electricity, or let me say the blessings of that electricity in our homes. And through the electricity, we get lights, Right? That way you can see where you're going. Through that electricity, you have certain appliances that you get to use to your advantage. The refrigerator, the microwave, the stove, right? Washer and dryer, all those things. Those are all benefits from having electricity. But what we don't do is stick metal objects in the wall socket. Why? Because we take it very seriously. We benefit from it. We don't play with it. Amen? I was driving down Highway 75 the other day. And as I was driving, 
I noticed that a police officer was coming up on the on-ramp right next to me. Too close for comfort, I must say. And you know what happened? The moment I noticed this guy, I immediately took my right foot off the accelerator and put it right over covering the brake, and I zoned in on that speedometer. Put hands at 10 and 2, because his presence there affected my decision-making in driving. And you know what? This guy did nothing but just get in my space, right? He didn't try to arrest me. He didn't try to pull me over. He just got in proximity, and it started changing how I was acting. And knowing that he was there, it affected my decision. And a few miles down the road, he pulled off, thank God, the off-ramp, and I went back to Eric Holler driving, right? Because I no longer had to deal with his presence. To fear God is to live in light of the presence of God. To take him seriously, to let his presence absolutely affect the decision-making of your life. That you every day have this realization that Christ is in me. Hallelujah. Christ dwells in me. And because his presence is there, that you acknowledge his presence, and then you af- it affects how you make your decisions and how you live your life. Amen. You know, there's a loop that goes around most major cities in the United States. And it's close enough to gain you access to things, but far enough away so that you're not bo- bogged down by the downtown traffic, right? Listen, don't be satisfied to just be close enough to God to be acceptable, right? But far enough away not to be bothered with. And don't just keep God in the vicinity. That's where we like to many times keep Him and not, not let Him be in the city hall, if you would, of our lives making decisions for our life. So how can we... Do, I, I, I believe all of us here, I think everybody here as, as a believer wants our nation to be won back. I, 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 and see America come back to its spiritual roots, to what it knows to be true, uh, to, to, that it knows where we really truly came from, that we're a nation whose God is the Lord. We're a nation who in God we trust. And we are a nation to understand that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Right? And we want to see a transformation in our culture. But ladies and gentlemen, if, if, if God can't get his own kids to take him seriously, how in the world can we expect the culture to take him seriously? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So how do you know if you fear God? You fear God with your feet, not with your feelings. Who walks in his ways. I like the way Romans 10 says it. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who who preach the gospel of peace. Since when do feet preach? Well, feet don't preach. They just take you somewhere to preach. 
right? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who bring glad tidings of good things. So if you're not moving in the fear of God, you're not fearing God, no matter how spiritual you feel. Woohoo! Right? Now, he gives three benefits here, I love this, to those who fear him. Look at verse 2. When you eat the labor of your hands, that is, you benefit from the productivity of your labor. Everybody say fortune. And then it says you shall be happy. Now, this has to do with your feelings, doesn't it? So there's a blessing for your fortune. There's a blessing on your feelings. And then it shall be well with you. And there's a blessing on your future. It shall be well with you. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Fortune, feelings, and future. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as the Word of God teaches us. So listen, he should be our starting point, not our ending point. He's not supposed to be the last one on the list before we consult everybody else. The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom that we acknowledge him in all our ways. Hallelujah. Now, this blessing comes, he's, he's, there's a progress going on right here, and he's talking about the individual that fears the Lord. But then he, he goes from that individual, and then he gets right into the family. Verse 3, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. The first group of people that ought to know you fear God are those you live with. It shouldn't be up at the church house. It needs to be in your house. And before we can get it to the White House, it's got to be in your house. Can I get a good amen tonight? And men, he starts with you here, doesn't he? Tommy's with me. If you fear God, your wife will be a fruitful vine in the very heart. I love the way that it says that, in the very heart of your house. In the Napa Valley, there are thousands upon thousands of vineyards. And these vineyards, these, they, these vines, they go through a process. That is, first they, they get them up on a post, get them up off the ground, and they cling that vine to a post. And then once that vine clings to the post, then it has the ability to then climb around. It clings and then it climbs, and then over time, it clusters. And when these grapes are clustered up, then they take those grapes, and then they squish them up. Some of them actually walk on them with their feet. Squish them up, making grape juice. And then that juice is then fermented to become wine. And you know what the Scripture says, that wine will make a sad man glad. Your wife will be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your fear of God then, ladies and gentlemen, let me say particularly gentlemen, can be measured by the change you see in your spouse. Your fear of God should affect your own home. See, Satan wants to destroy the family because whoever has the family has the future. You notice when you read over in Genesis chapter 3 where it happened, but before that, 
The devil never even messed with Adam until he got married. Then all hell broke loose. Didn't it? Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Now look, look at this. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Now, this is not talking about olive trees. It's talking about olive plants. It takes 15 years for an olive tree to actually become an olive plant. And if you nurture it right, it will produce olives, well, for at least 2,000 years that we know so far. Because if you go to the Garden of Gethsemane today, you'll see 2,000-year-old olive plants still producing olives. Isn't that extraordinary? Because their roots, they run so deep. And it says that your children, well, I want that to be the testimony of my children. That this legacy of faith gets passed down to my children and it continues to go from generation to generation to generation. Your children shall be like olive plants. Now listen, they become that where? Around your table. The table was the place not just for eating, but also for leading. Father made sure the kids' behavior was in order, made sure they got their homework done, made sure that the devotions were done there, taught them the word of God, the table was for more than food. And when the father wasn't there, the mother stepped right up in that, in that place. Problem with where we are today is we can't find the father at the table. See, it's the father and the mother who set the tone in their children for what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. To lead them. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Parents are letting their kids make way too many decisions that they should be making. Mamas and daddies got to lead those children. Children aren't mature enough to make those kinds of decisions. I don't know how many people I've talked to that go to church because their children pick the church. I go, wow, really? You're leading this home? Hmm? See a kid in a grocery aisle? I saw one not too long ago. Now, I know I talk about this, but it needs to be talked about. He's wanting, something, wanting a product, and his mom was saying no. And he was, just started arguing with her. And he was a little bitty guy. Started arguing with her. So she started trying to reason with him right there. Now, now Johnny, now, I don't remember his name. We'll call him Johnny. Johnny's always the bad kid, right? Now, jo- no. <laughs> Johnny, don't. <laughs> Pastor John, yeah. Now, Johnny, don't do that. And so she starts trying to make sense to him. Well, this kid is so furious at this point. You know, he's throwing a fit. He's stomping around. You can't reason with that. You beat that. You don't reason with that, right? You get control of that child. That's what that rear end is for. Wear that thing out. I love what the Bible says that that drives foolishness far from your child, that rod of correction. Yeah, just whip the stupid right out of them. Amen. Because the next time, listen to me, when you train them that way, when you talk to them, anytime they try to 
Then they try to bow up at you, and you just say, uh, <clears throat> oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm? It's on you, Mom and Dad. Set the tone. That's why these kids are running crazy. They, they don't know. They haven't been taught what's right and wrong. They don't know. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 4. But this is a wonderful promise. There's a blessing on us those who fear the Lord. Now look at this, verse four, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. He starts with the individual, then he moves into the family, and now, verse five, he comes to the church. The Lord bless you out of Zion. Zion is one of those lofty biblical words. There's a mountain called Zion, the holy mountain of God, And on the mount called Zion, there's a city called Zion, also known as the city of David. And on that mount called Zion is a city called Zion, and in that city called Zion, there's a building called Zion, called the temple. A holy mountain, a holy city, and a holy place of worship. Why do a father and mother take their family to Zion? so they can see that we are part of something bigger. That it's not just about us. There are other people who think like us. There are other people who talk like us. There are other people who act like us. Zion was this covenanted gathering of God's chosen people to let them know they belong to something greater. And Zion is not just a word for the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 12 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Zion was the gathering place of God's people. And it wasn't just a place for songs and sermons. It was a place for them to legislate God's will from heaven on earth to reflect God's view. See, this is why we do this. Think about this. America has embassies all over the world. In virtually every country, there is an American embassy there. Basically, an embassy is a little bit of of America a long way from home. And if you're in a foreign country and you find yourself in trouble... Get to an American embassy as quickly as possible. Because once you get through those gates, if you can just get through those gates, if you can get through the door there at the embassy, then, uh, then you're in America at that moment. And, and the laws of America, uh, uh, the, the American rule, the laws of America rule, I'm sorry, even though you're in a foreign country. Because that part is America. And see, listen, the church of the living God should be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. It should be a place where the values of eternity are known in the world. That we set the standard for the will of God to be accomplished. As a matter of fact, that's what we're here to do. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The church, God gives us the wisdom, God gives us the understanding, and he gives us the thing to say. We're the ones that are setting the temperature. Now, we can point our fingers at 
Washington all we want. And we can think it's all about voting for the right person. But ladies and gentlemen, it comes to us. God's wisdom comes to us to flow through us. He checks with the church first before he does something about the culture that we live in. And if he can't find a church that's going to listen to him, then nothing will be done. Amen. And if we want to change our city, if we want to change our nation, then our churches have to get in line with the word of the living God. Amen. That period. That's how it is. Amen. And the church is the bride of Christ. And, and, and I've said this before, and I, but we all need to understand just how important the body of Christ is, important our, how important our part is in the body of Christ. Is that you can't get all the benefits from the house of God and incur no obligations to the house of God. Right? I mean, how many of you know it's not right to just take your kid, put him in the nursery, put him in children's church, go to this, go to that, hear this, hear that, and never contribute anything to the church. You have an obligation to the house when you receive benefits from the house. I need a lot better amen than that tonight. Holy cow, you had a good chance there to say amen. Huh? Because it's not about you. Only. <laughs> We're trying to reach a world. We're trying to get the, 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 the kingdom of God, the king and his agenda, out. That's why the house of God needs to be a place where people truly experience heavenly benefits. This is why we have miracles happen in this house. Because we are believers for one thing, and we know that when we believe, signs and wonders and miracles follow. This is why this is a place also, the church of God is called the gate of heaven. Remember when Jacob said that? This is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven or the gate of heaven. This is where people have the opportunity, find the opportunity to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A little bit of heaven a long way from home. Now, then he, com he comes to the city. And the nation of Israel. See, then, now we're affecting McKinney and ultimately our nation. You may see the good of Jerusalem, he says, all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. If you were accused of being a Christian on the job, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Everyone else is coming out of the closet. You might as well too. Amen? Nobody goes to a football game. Well, not in Dallas anymore. Not until next year. But nobody goes to a football game to watch 11 men stand in a huddle, do they? Now, we can handle the huddle for a few seconds. But what we're really there to see is not them huddling. But what we want to know is, can you execute on the field what you talked about in the huddle? Hmm? 
it's not a big deal that you go to church to most people. But what they want to know is, can you live what you talk about when you come here? Hmm? We come together in this place, we're huddled here tonight. Right? So that we can go out there and execute God's plan in our lives. So that we can live in the realities of his word and not just say, boy, that was a good sermon. Boy, that, that, would, that would sure be great. Right? No, but we actually take his word, we ingest it in our lives, and we bear fruit. That's what the world's looking for. Will you execute what you learned here tonight? Hmm. Amen. Amen. Must, what we say here, we must live out there. What we learn here tonight, we must apply in our lives. Where? On the job, in that grocery store, in the restaurant, wherever we go. Can I have some people on my team here tonight? Amen. Now listen, it's important that we understand this right here. Because in the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about the authority that has been given to you by Almighty God. All right? So you got to get your life on target. That is on target with what God has called you to do. On target with his will for your life, for this church, for your community, and that we get all on the same page. Remember, Jesus Christ is building his church. Right? I want to be on that construction site. I don't want to be building something and then look over and go, oh, wait, Jesus isn't here. I'm building something other than what he's building. We want to be on the same construction site that Jesus is on. He's building his church. And, and today, ladies and gentlemen, he said that 2,000 years ago, and he hasn't stopped yet. He said, up on this rock, that is the, the revelation that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. That's our cause. That's why we're called One Cause Church, to let the world know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father God, thank you so much for this time in your presence. Thank you, God, for this great church. Lord, I'm so looking forward to what, what you have planned for us this year as a church and, Lord, even in our individual lives. Lord, as, as we read again and again in your word, we see that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning, which means you're going to be good and you're going to, you are good and you're going to stay good. You'll never change. And that Jesus Christ, our high priest, is seated at your right hand, ensuring that good things are coming into our life. Father God, help us to take your word seriously especially in this day and age, God. Help us, God, to not get wrapped up in what this world's wrapped up in. Not get lost in sarcasm and cynicism, but, Father God, that we would be devoted people to your word. That we would truly be aware of your presence that's always here. That when you came into our lives, you didn't just come to visit. You came to stay. You've given us your spirit who abides in us. We have received an anointing that resides within us. That your word says that you are a very present help in time of need. Father, let you, may you be the first 
the first source we go 